quite the startling report today on how Manitoba and pretty much all of Canada is unprepared for the rising rates of dementia, the so-called grey wave happening across this country. As grocery costs continue to rise, do you have money for charities, especially with the holiday season not too far away? Bob Irving joined us to talk about the significance of Zach Caleros and his long-term commitment to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Which class or program buried you in homework? And, I'm sorry, KK, what did you say is coming our way? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, October 19th podcast for The Start. Smackling McGarry and McNabb. Before we get anything into anything here, I got to tell you something funny. Greg, I already told you this, but I uh, got to loop Loren in. And, and I have an audio demonstration to show you what I experienced last night. I was trying to fall asleep. Haven't, I've been having a hard time falling asleep the last couple of nights. I went to bed at 9. It's like 10 o'clock. I'm still awake. So I, I think, you know what? I know what to put on. So I reach over to my phone. I turn on YouTube. And then I play. And let's just go right in here. Just using our little crisscross strokes. <laughs> and we'll just lay in a happy little sky. Some Bob Ross. Like so. Season 20, episode 7, it turned out to be. Autumn Fantasy. It's relaxing, no, Loren? You dressed as him a few years ago, <laughs> yeah, did you that's not? that's right! It was my first Halloween at the station, and I believe Greg was away, and I came into work, and the two thoughts, I thought, well, well done, Brett McGarry, dressed as the painter. And then I thought... Damn, people dress up here. How come I didn't know? And then I was mad at myself. <laughs> so this is so I'm listening to this and did it work? I got about ten minutes in and I was just felt myself drifting off. And then ads coming soon. An adventure <laughs> down under, way down under. <laughs> so this ad for what turned out to be a short film for Tourism Australia called Good Day. Starring oh, Rose great. Byrne and Will Arnett, and I'm like, what is happening? And I jumped out of my bed, and I almost smashed my phone. But as it turned out, that panic, I think, ultimately got me to sleep, because once I calmed back down, gone. And in other news, uh, Brad is going to Australia in 2023. <laughs> yeah, he dreamt of uh, Ayers, what's it called now? It has a new name, The Rock and the Great Barrier Reef, and you did all those things. Yeah, you're going subliminally. You booked it in your sleep. So anyway, I just wanted to share that. That's how my night kind of went, and um, I woke. I surprisingly woke up a little well rested today. But uh, next time, I, that's perhaps I bring this up as a PSA: don't put on YouTube unless you have YouTube <laughs> Premium, because the ad volume will blow your head off. So how often does that happen when you doze off on the couch, Loren? You're dozing off, and then the volume seems to be different on the commercials, and then you get rocked from your sleep, and you. You wake up disoriented, wondering, what on earth am I doing down here at this hour of the morning or the night? Yes. And then you wonder what room you're in. Yes. Have you ever had that happen? Or you fall, you know, you put the kids to sleep and you fall asleep in one of their rooms and you wake up and you try to get off the bed and the wall's there, you know, because you're just in the wrong room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's no good. I'm trying to decide if this is a good thing or a bad thing. It's happened to Kyle. I'm not going to get into the details, but there have been a couple of nights where I wake up and like, where am I? And then I realize that I'm not alone. Like, oh. <laughs> It's a good night, I guess. I don't remember uh, much of it, but we'll just well, leave you, it at that. Do you always wake up thinking it was a good night, or do you think, eee? 
<laughs> no, it's, it's usually good. <laughs> hey, gotta find a way, gotta go. I'm just gonna sneak out of here, um, but I still can. Um, so feel free to weigh in, by the way, if you have uh, ever had that panic wake up. And by the way, you talk about the volume of the commercials. The first thing I do when I get here in the morning is I go into the control room and I, I readjust the vault, the levels on our board. Yes. Because the 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 ones the pots as we call them for our commercials they're different every night. Like they don't they we don't seem to have a standard. So I always go in and I I, I put it at the same level because sometimes the commercials would come in way hotter than yeah. the shift. So I try to like balance it back out. That's become my morning routine. So when you see me going into the control room, that's what I'm doing. Well, I'm sure our listeners between four and six o'clock appreciate that <laughs> very much. I appreciate, I was in work last week while you were away, Brett. And for our listeners, there's this table in the hallway on the way to the closet that I would work in. And it has a, a big console <laughs> on it with a bunch of buttons. And it says, Please do not touch these buttons. Yeah. I don't remember what happens because I don't care because every morning I would pause there and be like, I don't know, man, like what, what possibly could go wrong if I touch these buttons? You can see Loren's hand begin oh, to every shake. Every day. And, she, I, and I would go the with right Greg. hand would shake and the uh, left hand would have to pull it back because the sign did not touch the button was an invitation it was for the McNabb to touch the buttons and to press them all and to see what they all did. But she resisted the urge. I think every day I said something to Greg. Are you sure? <laughs> you sure we can't touch those? Yes, I'm sure. And if you want to know what this thing looks like, by the way, just Google the words Stream Deck. It's just this little box, no bigger than a cell phone, and it has uh, this one has 12 buttons on it. And I, for the life of me, I can't imagine, like, what could be so important that it's just left out in the open <laughs> for all of us curious people. Yeah. Like, and, shouldn't it be behind a locked case? It's like the murder in the cabin thing where you you pick a charm and then all of a sudden you unleash like the murdering battle arena or the sloth that comes killing you. Like, I feel like something terrible happens if I hit one of those buttons and yet at the same time, I need to know what happens. Well, I want to know what happened that somebody had to put that sign. On this piece of equipment, because clearly somebody did touch it that wasn't supposed to. And I want to know who it was. And maybe more importantly, I want to know what happened. And even more so, I didn't notice it until the sign went up. Right. That's what I'm saying. This is a straight out of a modern family scene. I'm going to take a picture of this thing. I'm going to put it on my Twitter. Hold on. I'll be right back. There's like a red button in the scene and it says, do not touch. And Phil Dunphy, Luke Dunphy, and... Haley are all like you cannot touch the button, you know, because they're and they're certain they're in some sort of experimental world where if they touch the button, all these scientists are going to come out and see. Oh my god, that's what I feel like when I'm at work. Isn't I it need fun- to touch that button? Isn't it funny? Like this is a this is an urge that we had pro- trouble resisting as kids. You'd think we'd grow out of that as adults, but but you still you you it must be just a human nature thing. Tell us not to do something, therefore we want to do it even more. I read that sign every day, man. Every day. Every day. Greg is feverishly getting ready to tweet, so pay attention to at GMACWPG <laughs> if you want to see the Stream Deck photo that has caused us all to perhaps give in to temptation and find out what happens. Maybe, maybe it knocks out uh, Global News Morning. I don't know. Um, maybe that's what's been happening. Over there. Leave it off. Oh, you know what it is? It's a button for like the rail yard crossing arms. It controls the crossing (laughs) arms at Keniston. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, what, what power? Because they, they come down for no reason, you know? So that's what that button's about. <laughs> no matter the time of year, no matter the amount of time we spend discussing the perils of imperiled, impaired driving, it remains a far too common occurrence. Yeah, we talk about it because there are so many stories out there, Manitobans who've been touched by impaired driving. And we want you to listen now to the story of a life stolen by an impaired driver here in this province. Tanya Hansen-Pratt still remembers the shock she felt 23 years ago when her brother called, called to tell her their mother was gone. April 20th, 1999 was just a regular, beautiful Tuesday morning for most people. But for my family, it was the beginning of an excruciating journey. I remember I was sitting at my desk at work at about 9 o'clock that morning when my brother Jason called me. I was living in Winnipeg at the time, close to finishing school, and my brother was an RCMP officer in Brandon. He sounded upset and he quickly got to the point of his call. He said, Mum's dead. She was killed by an impaired driver this morning. I had no way to process that information. Hanson. Pratt's mother, Beryl Hansen, was walking near their family farm outside Portage La Prairie when she was struck and killed by an impaired driver. She was 59 years old. Word spreads quickly through the Mountie grapevine, so it didn't take long for my brother's RCMP detachment to figure out that the victim in the crash was our mum. And that morning became a whirlwind of somehow finding my other brother, Robert, and all of us making the surreal trek back home to identify mom's body at the hospital so no one would have to do it alone. Earlier that morning, a 19-year-old young man decided to go for a joyride. He'd been partying all night, consuming alcohol and cannabis with friends and brought four of them with him on his drunken ride on the country roads. The passengers were all teenagers between the ages of 15 and 17 and the driver was 19. Shortly after 7 a.m., the driver lost control of the vehicle while traveling in excess of 150 kilometers per hour and hit my mom while she was out for her morning walk, less than a kilometer from our farm. The driver and the occupants of the vehicle ran away and left my mom to die alone in a water-filled ditch. Just a few weeks later, Hanson Pratt attended a Mothers Against Drunk Driving Canada meeting. She now serves as the Winnipeg chapter's vice president. Mad Canada Chief Operating Officer Don Regan joined Richard and Julie on the news yesterday afternoon. You know, impaired driving remains one of the number one criminal causes of death in this country. And, um, you know, we we just have to continue to have these conversations and open dialogues about the fact that, uh, you know, impaired driving is a preventable uh, crime. There's no need for Uh, victims and survivors, uh, if people just did the right thing and chose to separate the acts of drinking and doing drugs from driving um, or from boating or from ATVs and quads, you know, whatever motor vehicle you're using, um, you know, impaired driving wouldn't happen and we wouldn't have families like uh, Tanya Hanson-Pratt who are living this legacy, you know, forever. So Regan says there's been a recent spike in impaired driving, which she attributes to people going out more as COVID-19 restrictions have eased over the past few months. Uh, this year alone, there's more than 500 impaired driving charges in this province. And with the holiday season approaching, she encourages people to take transit, 
ride shares or call sober friends or family instead of getting behind the wheel. According to Statistics Canada, impaired driving is the leading cause of criminal death in this country. Since January 1st of this year, Manitoba RCMP have issued 538 criminal impaired driving charges. So I have a question. Have you ever dialed 911 because you had the sense you were behind a driver who was impaired. Regan says if you're in that situation, do not hesitate to call police. When MAD developed our campaign 911 in 2007, that actually was the public's perception that impaired driving is not an emergency. And we've spent all these years battling that uh, conversation. And I think we've done a great job. The fact is people do see it as an emergency. Police will tell you it's a crime in progress and that you should call 911 um, if you see someone you suspect is impaired. It may turn out to be a medical issue and not impairment, but the fact is you may be saving a life by making that phone call. And police also tell us that they actually can charge or have charged more people that way than they have in sobriety checkpoints. So it's an effective tool that we have to ensure that uh, people are taken off the roads if they're impaired. I have called 911. I was in a taxi about five years ago uh, coming from the downtown home and um, there was what I thought was an impaired driver in front of us and so I called 911 my challenge was is that I wasn't sure if we should stick with that driver you know get off the road like what's the what am I supposed to do for your own safety in that moment and people around you but we did leave the information of the road the person was on the direction they were traveling and the license plate and I'm not sure what came of that and and whether that was the right it was the right thing to do to make the call I had no qualms about that but then in that moment do you what do you do after that in terms of following that person or trying to to prevent others from being hurt in that moment because if it wasn't impaired driving they were certainly in distress if that car was all over the road yeah i've been in the same situation made the same call probably 20 years ago and you know at that point in time it was a high priority for winnipeg police and they sent someone out and we actually uh was with two other people we followed that that car until the police intercepted them so i'd be curious to know if winnipeg police have time to take those calls and and process them these days. But also, have you made that call? What was your experience? 204-780-6868. We want to give away tickets to see Brian Adams, Canada Life Centre, November 2nd. And today's conversation has to do with homework. The headline... From Global News, Homework Headache, Why Value is More Important Than Volume. So University of Alberta education expert Greg Thomas spoke with Global News and said it's important to look at the value of homework instead of the volume. And he had some tips for teachers and students and parents. And you can learn more about that at globalnews.ca. But that just got us thinking, which class or which program produced the most homework for you? Like, do you remember just being buried in a mountain of homework? Maybe it still gives you nightmares. 204-780-6868. Mackling, let's start with you. Oh, boy. I'm I'm looking at a Vox website here on the 40 maps that explain the Roman Empire. Grade 7, Mr. Avon uh, was my teacher at River Heights School in Brandon. I still owe him a paper on Julius Caesar and the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. And the proposal was to do this. Which Roman Empire? East or West? (laughs) Julius Caesar. uh, That's all I got, Cam. For as much as I, I worked on this thing, I did not complete it. And anytime we have this discussion, I I go back 
to grade seven and realize I still have this outstanding report. And this is what I wanted to do was all the different maps and how the Roman Empire grew and shrunk and changed over, you know, 200 years or so. And, well... It's longer than 200 years. Here we are. Craig. Oh, wow. Just <laughs> a, a lot, lot of, longer than 200 years. A lot of Roman Empire feedback from Poitras. What was a thousand? I don't know. Uh, well, Poitras, the Roman Empire expert, let's go with you. Well, I'm no expert, but uh, I mean, uh, history always, I always enjoyed. Um, I mean, it, I, I have to go with math uh, because I just, you know, I just didn't do it. I don't have an explanation because I always believed one thing in life and it was in terms of homework. You don't have homework. If you believe you don't have homework. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? means you got bad grades. It means you don't have homework. If you believe you don't have it. That's it. Okay. There's, no other, nothing, there's nothing else to elaborate on. There's some weird Zen uh, stuff going on there with Poitras. Uh, Sarah McCarthy, what about you? I have to agree with Cam. I couldn't think of a specific example, but just any math homework I remember being awful. Just so many questions every time. Like okay. o- over thirty. I, I, I didn't even try. Like I could have. I could have been good in math. I just didn't do. I just didn't do the work. See, uh, I was not the best. I tried. It didn't help. But just thirty elaborate problems every night. I tried my best. Okay, hang on a second. How can you? How can you guys possibly not have specific examples? Like the second I thought of this, I thought of like a thousand things. I think of grade seven. I had remember my science humaine teacher, Monsieur Reed. Who said we're gonna you're gonna do an essay on a specific country? You'll be assigned a country. For me, it was Sweden, and mm-hmm. you had to write a 20 page essay. And I had a nervous breakdown at home. I remember my parents telling me to just put the homework away, Brad. It's okay. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever been assigned a project like that. Or creative communications at Red River College. I've never had so much homework in my life. For the last two months of the year, I was there for 18 hours a day mm-hmm. to the point where. The college actually did an audit of the program, apparently, within the, in the last five years, and looked at the, the program and said, what are you doing to these, these students? This is the number, the amount of homework you have, the volume of homework is insane. Almost impossible yeah, to well, complete. I, I, yeah, I never went to college, but in high school, I just kept kicking the can down the road. You do the two-week, at the end of the year, flurry, where you'd finish absolutely everything that you didn't do throughout the year, and then you'd pass. That's, that's, the way, that's how you do it. You just passed? That's how you do it? I don't yeah. think you can get away with that sleeping. now. <laughs> oh, come on. You totally get away with it now. <laughs> uh, so you were basically striving to just, just get through it by the end of the day. 60s and 70s, they're wonderful. Okay. Still, 70s, not bad. Loren, what about you? Yeah, I don't, I don't understand these guys. I can remember staying up late <laughs> doing like an English project where it had to be like an old timey. I don't remember what it was for, what the point was, but I wrote this essay and then I like took the, printed it out on manila paper and burned the edges so it had that like old timey and I wrapped it up oh, in like, a red ribbon. Like I, I put all the value on the presentation and not, re- I'm not even sure anything was grammatically correct in that paper, but it looked great. But I remember staying up late doing that. My parents waking up like, why does the house smell like smoke? And I'm like, I'm burning my English paper, but stay with me. It makes sense. I actually still, um, in my last year of university, I'm a mass communications course. I had a paper due and I chose to go to Wayne Gretzky's final game in Canada rather than finish that paper. He was playing against Ottawa when he was with the Rangers and it was last Canadian game. So I had to hand that paper in late and I probably once a year wake up in the middle of the night thinking, did I graduate to the point when I was cleaning up the storage room this past year and found my university diploma actually thought you did. 
you did graduate because it has stuck with me that because I didn't finish that paper on time, maybe I shouldn't have. I, 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 I have homework nightmares still. I don't understand Cam and Sarah right now. <laughs> just don't stress about it. What's the stress about it? Dude, it's, it's in my dreams your, 20 it's years just your later. Entire, it's just your entire future. Don't stress. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jeff Forte, what about you? Oh, God, I just, I hate homework. Like, homework is the worst for me. I remember, I like, what did you say, a 20-page, you had to write 20 pages? In grade seven, yeah. Something That's in ridiculous. That was I think, a lot. I think it was in, like, grade eight. I had a essay to write. It was, like, 1,500 words. And I was like, my life is over. I'm never going to get through this. Like, it's just the worst things ever. Or history, I, oh, I hated, like, sorry, Cam. I know history is, like, your <laughs> it's okay. jam. But it's okay. I, I remember having to, to write, like, do a project on the World War II planes, or was it World War One? I? I can't remember. I remember the Spitfire and I having to research this, and just I would distract myself as much as possible. If I would see something, I'd be like, "Hey, that looks fun to play with." Screw the homework. I'm going to do that. <laughs> like just uh, down with homework. That's that's it. Down, down with, with homework. homework. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember uh, nothing. Quite. You know what? That's what I need when I need to take. I was talking about having problems falling asleep. I need to dig out like my old calculus textbook or something. Yes. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what I, what I, what, no, it wasn't calculus. Calculus? But it wasn't cal- cosine, oh, tangent, whatever that button was on the calculator. The, you know, physics? Is that physics? I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, the, like trigonometry and then you use that for physics and I think it can potentially apply to calculus. I didn't do very well in calculus. I can't remember what textbook it was, regardless of what it was. I remember sitting down in my bed, cracking open the book, okay, I'm going to study, and uh, within three minutes, I was asleep for yeah. four hours. Yeah, the sociology textbook, that would be a good thing to dig out uh, on nights when you can't sleep. Or what about when you're driving? Say you're doing a long-distance drive and you're doing the head dips, and then you get into the hotel room and you can't sleep. My brother always said, just hold your arms out. Pretend you're holding the steering wheel. You'll fall asleep pretty fast that way. <laughs> really? Pretend you're asleep. Nah, it never worked. Oh, it was just a it was just a suggestion on his part. I could see maybe just your arms getting tired, and then you fall asleep that way. One stage. How? Sorry. Go ahead. How, how long was the Roman Empire? Hundreds of years then? <laughs> like two thousand. Two thousand years. You guys are gonna have to find out. Crack open no. your textbooks. No. Oh, come on, you can't kick this down the road as well. In five hundred BC, homework. Rome was a minor guys city state homework. on the Italian you peninsula. You have homework to do, guys. Get to it. Here's the headline. Manitoba unprepared for rising rates of dementia. CanAge is Canada's national seniors advocacy organization, and they've released a new report assessing Canada's level of preparedness to handle the massive influx of dementia patients that experts warn is set to overwhelm our healthcare system in the coming years. Yeah, and that warning that the numbers are only going to get worse, going to grow dramatically. We've been hearing that for years, and yet here we are. With these new findings, CanAge CEO Laura Tamblin Watts joins us now for more. Good morning, Laura. Good morning. So let's talk about how Canada is dealing with the needs of the rapidly aging population. What does this report show? That we're not doing well. I think we all understood that we haven't been addressing dementia the way that we need to. But this first-of-its-kind report measures exactly how badly we are doing. And Canada and Manitoba are nowhere near prepared. Well, give us some of the benchmarks in this report with regard to Manitoba and its preparedness or 
Unfortunately, it sounds, Laura, more like it's unpreparedness for this coming gray wave. It is. When we look at what we need to do and to invest, it's really so far behind where we need to be that it doesn't even begin to land in measurement. And let me give you a couple of examples. Manitoba doesn't even have basic information on the website, let alone enough supports in personal care homes or home care. It doesn't have even more than a handful of geriatricians and neurologists for the entire province. We have 10 times the number of pediatricians than we do geriatricians. And as everyone knows, our population is rapidly aging. So we've been investing in the wrong places. Well, and in far, as far as the, the global population, there were estimates pertaining to the year 2050. But I see that Manitoba seems to be well ahead of that curve. Manitoba is also a very rapidly aging population. We're going to get to one in four people over the age of 65 in about 10 years. And we estimate that when it comes to dementia preparedness, we are about 20 years behind where we need to. And this means we can no longer just look the other way and expect that dementia will somehow be taken care of by family and friends without the needed supports or funding. It's just not possible. Laura, you're probably well aware whenever we talk health care, provincial spokespersons for health departments in any part of the country will say, well, this isn't just our problem, it's a national problem. But are we are we worse compared to other provinces? And therefore, what can we do for that? Because if we're all competing for these healthcare professionals, where do you turn next? Manitoba is bad, but so is everybody else. So it's really not a great report in that regard. There are a couple of things that we can do. We can think about a stepwise approach. Some of the metrics that we included in the report are really low-hanging fruit. Is there information about dementia for caregivers? No. Is there enough information for people who think that they have cognitive impairment or a family member or friend that does? Can they navigate the pathway clearly? No. And that's not even getting to the idea of making sure that we have enough of those big healthcare dollars. So we've identified some ways that Manitoba can take some early steps that will help a lot of people. We know that our the premier was the former minister of health and has clearly uh, made promises about supporting people with dementia in Manitoba. We'll have to see as part of their senior strategy consultations, which are ongoing right now, whether dementia shows up or whether or not we're going to kick that can down the street yet again. You used the word early, and I think that's uh, maybe where we'll wrap things up. I think there are some misconceptions with regards to age and the development and the impact of dementia on people of a certain age, Laura. It's absolutely true. So the numbers over the age of 85 are exploding, and that's where we see a lot of the dementia. But we know that many kinds of dementia happen at least 10 years before a diagnosis. In Manitoba, we're not diagnosing early. We don't have enough access to health care, but we just don't even have enough access to regular good old-fashioned information either. So these are things the government can do quickly. Well, it's trying to make a big shift in its thinking towards home care and more GP support. As we say, two to three out of five doctors in Manitoba say they don't feel comfortable diagnosing or treating dementia. CanAge CEO Laura Tamblin-Watts joining us live on 680 CJOB. Laura, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate this. 
Thank you. CanAge is Canada's National Seniors Advocacy Organization. Once again, the headline after a new report was released assessing Canada's level of preparedness to handle the influx of dementia patients. Manitoba unprepared for Uh. rising rates of dementia. It's like every day we hear new numbers and you think, what are we prepared for? It's the opposite question. You know, it's deeply concerning because we all know someone who's aging or we might even include ourselves in that, depending on how early dementia can set in. So what do we do? Because indeed, that's one of the things the the report shows. It's a misconception that dementia is an old person's problem. Uh, So much to think about here. So we thank CanAge for that time. We're talking about the sheer volume of homework you may have experienced in a particular class or a particular program. What is Chris saying? Well, usually we would pull the dog ate my homework thing with the teachers. Uh, Loren, Chris had a different strategy. He says, I used to throw my homework in the culvert. Mom would say, did you have any homework? I would say, no. Then my friends would come over with my homework saying, hey, we found this in the ditch. <laughs> Tried to get rid of your evidence. That's that right. Never works. Moms know. <laughs> Willie says his grade seven teacher, French teacher, gave a huge amount of homework. Every class she would say, do your homework. You'll get a better job in life. She was a French lady from Quebec who gave me nightmares at night, but she was correct about getting a better job knowing French. Yeah. Yes. There's some teachers that you can, like, they were right. You didn't like them at the time. <laughs> but they were right. Yeah, it's funny, the the nightmares that I, that I have uh, as it pertains to homework and the amount of time that I spent at school staying up late. And um, I, th- I, it's funny, I mentioned CRECOM earlier, the Creative Communications Program at Red River. And I think anybody who has survived that program or any pr- program, I'm not saying that Red River is harder than other schools. I know that uh, I had a buddy who went through engineering at the U of M and says it was a grind, but... Uh, I survived this particular grind, and I wear it with a badge of honor with my fellow Cree commies or Cree commers, whatever you want to call yourself. But uh, and Greg asked, "How does it make you feel that they've since lightened the load a little bit?" And I think, um, I'm kind of jealous. I bet. <laughs> I, like I, I wear it with a badge of honor, but I would have been happy to do less stuff. Part of that program, though, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, as I understand it, Brett, was to emulate as much as possible the working conditions within the media, within the publishing industry, to the point where you've told me this story, and I think you've shared it on air, about trying to hand in an assignment, like, basically two seconds late, and not being accepted. 204-780-6868. What's that? It's too late. 602? Newscast doesn't start at 6.02, my friend. It starts at 6. You are late. You are fired. 3 to 11. You don't want to work nights? Where do you think sports happens? At nights. Get out of here. Now the Winnipeg Jets play game three of their 2022-23 NHL North American Ice Hockey League schedule. In Denver versus the Stanley Cup champion Avalanche tonight. Our coverage gets underway at 5 o'clock with Play Now Winnipeg Jets hockey beginning at 7. Play-by-play commentator, analyst for NHL coverage on ESPN and critical member of our Winnipeg Jets coverage team here on CJOB is Leah Hextall. Leah joins us now. How are you, Hexie? 
Oh, Greg, I'm great. It's so lovely to hear your guys' voices and be on with you again for another great, uh, what did you just call it that? A national hockey? What? I don't even know what that league is. <laughs> I, like to, I like to. I think you mean the NHL. I like to joke that it's the, the I call it the, the North American Ice Hockey League. And then when we get Got to the it. Stanley Cup Championships, it's the North American Ice Hockey League Championships. It's so. for all the field I'm, hockey we cover, Leah, right? So people can right. differentiate. Yeah. <laughs> In Canada, that's, you know, you got to make sure you're clear on that. Yeah, yeah you're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Lee, I don't need to tell you this, and most fans know the Jets are off to a one-and-one start uh, this season, but this is a critical season for the franchise in the eyes of most. Rick Bonus is yet to physically take his place behind the bench due to COVID. That is due to change tonight. That aside, how quickly can we accept, expect a team to adapt under a new coaching staff? Well, you have to look no further than the Jets opponent the other night to see how quickly it can happen with the Dallas Stars and how they've adapted under Pete DeBoer. I mean, they've already been able to implement his system, which is creating more offense for the team as the players that have come in in the offseason, like a Mason Marchment, are being utilized. So for the Jets, there's really no excuse. You have to be ready to go. They've had training camp. They've had preseason. And just the bottom line is, is there isn't time to waste. There isn't time to not be able to adapt as quick as possible. Now, obviously, with Coach Bonus being delivered the bad news of the COVID-19 diagnosis, it'll be great to see him actually physically behind the bench tonight. I'm sure he's had input. But it's clear just even from watching how the new coaching staff runs practice, things that they've already done within the room, the changing of the leadership group, this is going to be a different, not only structural system, but also a different mentality for this team. And I'm, I'm hoping that it gives them an identity because I know that we've seen the Jets struggle with who are they for the last couple of years after knowing set in stone exactly what type of team they are. But um, the adaptation to it is going to have to be quick. It's not as easy as people think, though. It can be as simple as things as new language that can be tricky for players to learn after they've been so used to a long-tenured coach like Paul Maurice. But it's going to have to happen. It's going to have to happen quick because their schedule is heavy and you can get lost in this league very quickly if you can't put together some wins. Yeah, there's no time to rest and there's no time to let up. And when we look back to that first game, I was at that game that night too. And and that second period, I know a lot's been said about that second period, but it seemed the pace of their skating slowed and they started passing up excellent shooting opportunities. And so, you know, good teams make their decisions more quickly than less good teams. It's maybe an oversimplification, but it's true, Leah. It is, Loren, and we heard Scott Arneal say that Dallas did a really good job of slowing them down, and that's something in the NHL that you never want to hear happening to a team. It's also something that I think over the past two years I've noticed with the Jets is that they have lagged behind. This league, when we talk about playing fast, it's not just about how fast someone can explode and skate. It's not just the fact that Connor McDavid needs one step and he's gone. Playing fast has to do with the forecheck, getting in on the puck, hounding the puck, tracking the puck, making sure that you keep plays alive. I mean, all those things matter. And making those decisions quickly, as soon as the puck hits your stick, you know, you hear coaches say he holds on to the puck too long. It's all about the movement and working it in the offensive zone and creating that zone time. That's all what playing fast means. And I do think that this league every single year gets faster and faster in that respect. And the Jets have legged back in their identity a bit with that. It's not to say they don't have the personnel, but that has to be a consistent for them, and that has to be a major part of their identity if they want to win in this league.
So the Jets play game two of a three-game and four-nights road trip. How important is it to beat the teams you should? It's extremely important. Uh, the reason being, what I mean when you know when I think about that is, right now the Jets' schedule is so so heavy. They have nine games in October, and only one of those games are against an opponent that didn't make the playoffs last season. That's that's a rough sledding. So. You know, when you do face a team that you should beat, you have to, because if not, you're playing Colorado and Vegas back-to-back. They have another back-to-back in this month between L.A. and Arizona. So, you know, when you look at the teams coming up that they face just in October alone, I mean, these are all playoff teams from last year. These are all upper echelon teams, which the Jets were not last year. So when they come against a team like Vegas, who didn't make the playoffs last year, they need to beat Vegas. When they play Arizona, they need to beat Arizona. Because if not, you're facing the Cup champs or you're facing a Toronto Maple Leafs team that made the playoffs last season. It's not to say that the Jets can't beat these teams this season, but you really need to make good early on in the teams that you should beat. That means at least that you are at the standard where you should be, and now it's time to elevate. But, you know, I will say this. I know they have Colorado tonight and Vegas tomorrow. I've already covered Vegas, and I've got them again on Tuesday and I have to say, everybody, watch number nine, Jack Eichel. He's back. He's back in a big way. Logan Thompson's doing some things in net, which we were wondering. So I think Vegas is back, which is not necessarily great news either for the Jets because when I look at this Western Conference this season, there's a lot of power players in it. So yeah. Jets got to win the games that are you know on the platter for them to do so. Yeah, all those Western Canadian kids, I think. Uh, that's right. I think it's like about a That's right. I think it's. I think he counted eleven. How did teams manage to play? And I think if either one of us could answer this question, Leah, we would be coaching in the NHL. But what's your view on this with regard to almost distinctly different styles of games within one single game? How did teams get off of their game plan so quickly, so distinctly? And and the Jets seem to do that against Dallas. I thought they were terrific in the first period, and then Dallas got those two quick goals and the wheels sort of fell off for them. Well, and that's the most problematic part, Greg, right? Is if you find yourself not playing your game and not dictating the style of the game, then that means that you're often, you're lagging. You're behind in the score. Something has occurred that you have lost the confidence within your structure. And that's the worst thing that can happen because as soon as you start playing another team's game, what are you doing? You're just feeding into what they want you to do in order for them to be successful. So that's why, once again, you know, I'm really waiting to see who this Jets team is and what type of structure. And I I know I keep going back to the word, the identity that this Jets team is under Rick Bonus. So, um, you know, I know it's only been a couple of games, but that really needs to shine through. There has been a, you know, we've seen personnel, we've seen Nick Ehlers, different players getting different roles. You know, we've got to see who this team is quickly and what we can expect from them every night so that we understand, you know, what the Jets' game is. But when you're a team and you're not playing your game, you know that it's the wheels have come off a little bit and you got to put them back on or else you're not going to have success. Leah Hextall, play-by-play commentator, analyst for NHL coverage on ESPN and a huge member of our Winnipeg Jets coverage team on CJOB. Leah, pleasure as always. Thank you. It was mine. Thank you so much.
Statistics Canada. Mm-hmm. Loren saying the annual inflation rate dropped slightly in September to 6.9%, but the cost of groceries continues to climb. Yeah, we keep hearing that inflation will cool or is cooling, but a drop of 0.1%, I don't think it's making anyone feel much relief. Gas has fallen slightly, so that's why that annual inflation rate is dropping in theory. But when you talk about groceries being up 11%, you'd have to be in your 40s to have lived through a time when when the rate of grocery prices rose this fast because we haven't seen them climb like this since 1981. So I don't think people are feeling much relief. And you might be asking that question, you know, 11% hike. We've been living with these rising prices for months now. I don't think there are many out there who can put up their hand and say, say they've seen a a raise at work or their wages rise the same way. If you have, let me know, 780-6868, because it's, it's gone, I think, from this thing of like, I can ride this out maybe for a few months to wondering what sort of serious changes you might have to make if this continues, because the pain, I think, for many people is very, very real right now. Yeah, we've been talking about groceries and, and sharing our personal experiences with with going to the store and purchasing things and, and even like to triple checking. I think you said you triple checked your... Yes, your, your, credit your credit card. card statement last month. I was Loren. sure something it had been compromised. Sure of it, and it was just groceries and gas. And <laughs> and 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 typically, I don't really panic at the grocery store when it comes when I get my bill, uh, when I get my receipt. I don't. I'm not one of these that that you know scour over it and look. I know when I've collected something and put it in my cart or my basket that is supposed to be on sale. So I will watch for it as it's getting rung in. But that that's about the extent of it for me. I don't really go over and do a, an, a forensic audit on my groceries. But I did that the other day when I shared with you guys what I'd purchased at the store. What would have been a pretty basic list that came in at $82. The the thing that really took it over the top, I guess, was the toilet paper at 12 bucks for 24 rolls, but still $70 for a couple jugs of milk, some lunch meat, and a rotisserie chicken seemed like a ton of money. And so uh, no matter the situation you're in, that's, that's hitting you in the pocketbook. But Brett, you mentioned something in our chat the other day, and that had to do with single parents. Um... What was that? I don't. That was me. I was just saying that that I I couldn't imagine being a single parent right now because you know I just come home from the grocery store. It feels like you're carrying three bags in when that three hundred dollars used to be you know several trips in and out of the car, and then we had to stop and get some things for sports. And you know those are all extras. I understand that. But then if you if you had that single income household and a couple kids and you're trying to make ends meet right now, or you're having those conversations in your home, you know, you might have done two sports or a sport and a music lesson. And now it might be like, I don't know, maybe we have to cut back to one of those things. And I just said, I, I, I'm stressing about some of these things now in our dual fortunate income household. And, and there's many people I know who are not in those boots. And uh, I think Brett just said, yeah, that's just a whole other a whole other road to go down. The growing number of Manitoba turkey farms are dealing with highly contagious avian influenza outbreak. Yeah, and so as a result, we've got a growing number of turkeys that are either dying or needing to be destroyed in order to contain this outbreak. As of this week, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency says 289,000 birds have been impacted in Manitoba alone. And on its website, I was looking this morning nationwide, more than 3 million birds, Greg, have been lost. So this is going to impact the availability of turkey and the industry overall. We were first warned of this avian influenza outbreak in poultry back in the spring, but it's really taking hold this fall. Helga Wedden is with 
the Manitoba turkey producers. Helga, good morning. Good morning. Well, uh, I know that Alberta farms have been impacted by this, but now this uh, influenza, this avian influenza is impacting Manitoba farms as well? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, for um, about a month now, we've been been dealing with it. Uh, since uh, the spring, we had uh, one farm break here that wasn't turkey, but uh, now this fall, we obviously have a higher number of poultry farms dealing with it. How many but, How many would you say, Helga? Um, as of right now, I believe we have 17 infected premises um, that are um, in a primary control zone. 17 premises, close to 300,000 birds. What's the impact on the producers when it comes to their bottom line? Is there... Is it just a total loss? Is, is there coverage for something like this? Well, you know, it's a combination. Um, compensation is available to the farmers under the Health of Animals Act um, by various species, age, and birds. Um, and that is obviously through the federal government under CFIA. Um, but the portion that the uh, farmers are responsible for themselves is what we call C&D. So that's the cleaning and disinfecting after the destruction and disposal have occurred. Are there concerns that this could spread to other farms, like chicken producers? Uh, you know what, actually, it encompasses all of poultry currently. Um, there's a combination right now in Manitoba of um, not only turkey, um, but broilers and uh, laying hens as well. So it's, it's really a, a complete poultry industry um, issue. So I'm just looking here, and I'm reading that there are 52 turkey farms in Manitoba raising approximately 1.4 million dollars. Uh, pardon me, 1.4 million turkeys annually. So, Helga, the numbers you've given us uh, indicate that this is impacting a significant uh, percentage of the farms and the sig- significant percentage of production. Um, yeah, I mean, what we're dealing with this round, absolutely, and and like you said before, it's not just Manitoba; it's all in the West as well. Um, But yeah, we have of those farms, there is six at what we call turkey breeder farms um, that supply the uh, poults to farms right across the West. So um, we have that as well. But uh, right now we are, um, you know, dealing with ensuring that their product is being supplied to the market. So our farmers are very concerned though, but they're, um, you know, being very vigilant and they take this seriously. And, uh, you know, they have biosecurity measures they follow uh, on an everyday basis. And so they're continuing to do that and uh, have ramped it up even more. So let's talk about those turkeys that may or may not be getting to market then, Helga. I know there was concerns prior to Thanksgiving of possible turkey shortages and then rising prices of turkeys. What are we expecting in the weeks ahead of this next holiday season? Well, currently for us, uh, right now, there are no supply chain issues. Um, For Thanksgiving, there was some concern around uh, fresh turkey being available, like the fresh whole bird, Um, but frozen, there was adequate supply um, to ensure that everybody would be able to access some kind of turkey for their Thanksgiving dinner. Um, So that's one thing we're just working through right now, um, you know, throughout Canada, as it is a supply-managed commodity right across the nation. So um, we're assessing that, uh, but currently we... We are um, supplying what what needs to, and we'll deal with uh, what comes as a result of all of it. And sorry, Helga, how, how long might you be anticipating that you'll be dealing with this? You know, it's it's hard to say because the um, source of this virus right now is uh, migratory birds, and that that 
populations. So um, we're hoping that it starts to ease off here as we're moving closer and closer to winter, but um, that's the main source. So um, it all depends upon what happens with that. How is this uh, impacting price, Helga, of, of, of turkey? Uh, you know, there's currently no issue with the, the pricing um, that it should uh, remain, um, you know, stable through it. Um, and of course, though, turkey being like any other uh, grocery or um, commodity product, all prices have gone up for consumers. Um, but we're not foreseeing that there will be a price increase due to this. Um, of course, a lot of the price will be dependent on feed costs and that type of thing. Before we let you go, Helga, is this comparable to outbreaks you've gone through in the past in terms of, I don't want to rate it, but you know, you've been through this before, you've got those practices in place as a result. How would you compare this to what producers have been through before when it comes to avian influenza outbreaks or other? Um, you know, I can say uh, nationally that um, this level has been dealt with before, um, but here in Manitoba, um, this is a new level for us. Um, but we are fortunate to be working with our provincial government, who um, has been excellent support through this, um, as well as working with CFIA to, to coordinate on um, working through this situation. So when you say new level, apologies, you just, how would you, there's, there's up to 17 farms impacted in the last outbreak. What would it have been, your last comparable one? Well, the last one would have been the spring. And at that point, there was just the one infected premise. Um, so uh, for us, obviously, that's um, a larger amount, you know, and, and it's just all very dependent upon those migratory birds and what happens with that and what they're carrying and um, the level of it. But I know right across the West, um, it's it's a higher level than previously as well. Helga Wedden with the Manitoba Turkey Producers joining us live on 680 CJOB. Helga, thank you very much for this. Thank you. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers have locked up a key cog in their Grey Cup winning machine. Yeah, it was news that made some of our listeners shed tears. They texted in to say they were so happy when we told them yesterday morning that quarterback Zach Caleros and the Winnipeg Football Club have agreed to extend what is an extremely successful relationship through at least the 2025 season. Lucky. Very fortunate. However, you want to, you know, coin that. Every time I see Wade, I shake his hand and give him a hug and thank him for for bringing me in and uh, allowing me to be a part of this. I love it. He thanks Wade for bringing him in, and we're thanking him. Bob Irving joins us now. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, you guys. How are you? I'm good. First question: Is Wade Miller the hugging type? I know I'm the hugging type. Does <laughs> if I throw a hug out at Wade, is he going to like that? Uh, I don't know if he'll like it or not, and I don't. I don't think he'll initiate it, Lauren. But <laughs> if you if you opt to hug him, uh, of late, I would suggest that uh, given all the good vibes coming out of Bomberland, Wade is prepared to hug anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it a shot next time. Okay, so yeah. if we go back to October 9th, 2019, just over three years yeah. ago, it's safe to say the Bombers finally got their man, yes? Oh, yeah. What a great move that was, you know. And when we trace the history of the Blue Bombers, uh, that particular point in their history is one that will you know, go down as one of the great moments when they acquired Zach Kolaris. And at the time, it didn't seem like such a big deal because they had Matt Nichols and Chris Strebler, although Nichols was injured and Strebler was struggling with an injury. And Kolaris was acquired more or less as an insurance piece. And then he was pressed into action. And uh, we all know what's happened since then. I would say this about Kolaris, though, and I think people have forgotten, Loren, 
Um, he was a star in this league 2014, 15, and 16 in Hamilton, and even 13 when he arrived in Toronto and relieved Ricky Ray, who got hurt. At that point, he had become, during that four-year period, he'd become one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And then his career was derailed by injuries, a knee injury, and then the concussions we're all familiar with. He was uh, traded to Saskatchewan, and he played at a system there that handcuffed him and his abilities. And then he went to Toronto in a trade, and he was injured at that time, and the Argos really didn't use him at all. And so he's, he comes to Winnipeg, and his career has been resurrected. Uh, and, of course, he's playing in a system now and has people supporting him, Buck Pierce and Mike O'Shea, who believe in him, who know what he can do, who best use his abilities. And he's flourished again, and he's become a, a piece in the Blue Bomber puzzle that they couldn't live without. I'm not surprised he signed an extension. I know how happy he is here, and uh, this is where he wants to end his career, and so it's a perfect fit for both. Back, you mentioned 2014, and the Bombers were uh, trying to acquire Caleros back then when he became a free sure. agent, and, and Hamilton, of course, snapped him up, Bob. For several seasons now, we've discussed the Blue Bombers' ascent and becoming what I think we can safely call the flagship franchise in the Canadian Football League. The word which often came up was culture, Bob. How does th- this impact the ability, this signing of Caleros long-term, their ability to attract and retain players? Well, it's a great positive in that regard, Greg. There's no doubt about it. Look, all the players on this Bomber team, virtually all of them, I won't say all, but virtually all of them, want to be here. Now then business enters the equation, and we saw it with Kenny Lawler uh, last year. He was offered a pile of money that I guess he felt he couldn't turn down, but he did not want to leave Winnipeg. And so this will help immensely, but it's all about winning, right? Players want to be where they're successful, where their team is successful, where they're comfortable where they can walk into the locker room every day and feel good about their surroundings. And the Bombers have that here in spades. And so when the players look and see that Zach Tolaris has committed long-term, uh, and look, you're not going to do anything in football unless you've got a great quarterback. And the Bombers now have a great quarterback locked up for three more years. So that is for sure going to influence players in staying here. You'll always have some who will go where they feel the grass is greener and where the money's higher and bigger and they feel money they can't turn down and the bombers won't be able to afford to keep everybody but when you can get a player like Calaris re-signed uh, it sends a, a signal to all the other players that hey we're going to keep on winning here and if you want to be part of this great parade you better jump on where does Caleros, we've asked this question of a couple of people now so we'll ask you where does Zach Caleros rank on the list of all-time blue bomber quarterbacks yeah, I heard that discussion yesterday. He's only been here for two full seasons and a little yeah. bit, right? But, <laughs> Fair, yeah. but, but he, he, they have won two great cups with him. So, look, based on sheer talent, sheer talent, right? Uh, Dieter Brock comes to mind for me. Of course, Kenny Plain back in the Bud Grant era. Uh, Jack Jacobs before that, and that was before my time, but he was sensational in the few years he played. Uh, you know, Kevin Glenn had a pretty good five-year run. Danny McManus was here, but he didn't get a chance to play much. So uh, he's right up there. After two years and a bit, he's right up there trailing, I would say, only Brock and Kenny Plain, unless I'm missing somebody. Bob Irving joining us live on 680 CJOB to talk Zach Caleros and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Bob, a pleasure as always, sir. Thank you. Yeah, okay, guys. Have a great day. Almost one quarter of Canadians have a disability. 
That doesn't mean they're unable to work, and that's where our next guest comes in. Yeah, October is Disability Employment Awareness Month, and Ernie Thiessen is Executive Director for Premier Personnel, member of the Manitoba Supported Employment Network. Ernie, great to speak with you as always. Hey, good morning. That number, one quarter of Canadians having a disability, before we move on, that number is going to probably startle some folks. Yeah, and and the statistics are showing that... Uh, Moving forward, they expect it to go above a quarter, uh, above 25% in the future years. And that's somewhat based on the, an aging population, uh, but somewhat uh, just uh, people are willing to self-disclose and kind of share more information about themselves. And so they're getting more information about people with disabilities. So as a result of that, early, Ernie, what do we know about some of the common misconceptions we might have about disability? Because... The fact that more people are disclosing is a positive thing, but on the other hand, that might mean people might not even be aware of what's been going on around them for years. Right. And and, then there's still a stigma around disability where employers think that, uh, you know, if you're hiring somebody with a disability, you're going to have greater absenteeism or or issues with, uh, you know, how long people are able to stay and using benefits and things like that. And and statistically just shows that uh, that's, that's not the case, that uh, there's lots of huge advantages for businesses in hiring people with disabilities. Well, um, well so. and when we talk about disabilities as well, Ernie, we're not just talking about physical, right? We're talking about intellectual as well, yes? Yeah, and specifically my company, like we, we provide support for people with intellectual and learning disabilities to help find work. And yeah, and a lot of those disabilities are invisible, so you don't necessarily, you won't necessarily see it from afar, but you, you know, once you start spending time with an individual, you'll, you'll start to realize, you know, oh yeah, that's where, you know, maybe they need a little bit of extra help or that's where they need a little bit of extra support. We've been speaking with you for about six years on this now, Ernie. Well, why is the disability market a big opportunity for business? Well, so there was a study in 2018 by Accenture showing that uh, businesses that hire, that are actively hiring people with disability experience 72% more productivity a 45% increase in workplace safety, a 30% higher profit margins, and two times the net income of other businesses in the study. So, I mean, there's, the, I think what's happening is that businesses are starting to realize that there's a, a labor pool that's out there that, that, that hasn't really been tapped into. People with disabilities are still really underrepresented in the workforce, but, but it's there to be tapped into. They have skills, and, and that uh, businesses that tap into it, you know, people that recognize companies that are doing that and want to support those companies and there's profit to be made by by showing that you actually have an interest in in making this work when you consider ernie too i know we were talking about this back in the summer with inclusion winnipeg the idea that we have a shortage of workers in some sectors there's there's opportunity for everyone absolutely yeah and we're really trying to you know especially in summer when when things were starting to open up after post-COVID and or it, it, we could see the number of employers really scrambling trying to find new new labor pools and, and we had a number of people starting jobs and I think what we're hoping is that employers as they start getting into the market, as they start doing these types of hires, they start to see the benefits for themselves of, of you know why it's advantageous and then and then hopefully that starts to build on itself and, uh, you know, hopefully more and more people start to get jobs that have disabilities. 
So a big part of this is education. Tell us about MLA to Work Day. Yeah, so it's an event that Emson has put on for the last number of years um, where we, you know, all these statistics I just told you, you know, they tell, a, you know, you can learn a lot from statistics, but you never learn as much from a statistic as you do from actually meeting somebody and seeing kind of the impact that employment has on their life. And so with the MLA to Work Day, the, what we're doing is we're having people that we support invite MLAs to their business and to get to see them in their workplace, get to talk to the employer about what they've experienced through hiring people with disabilities and to really actually connect with one individual and hear kind of how employment has had a positive impact on their life. And I think, you know, that, that the power of a story seems to go way further than the power of statistics. So uh, we're, we're trying to get all the MLAs to kind of be able to come out and see it and see the value that it brings and to make sure that they want to, you know, when, when, when things come up related to questions of how do we support people in the community, that they know employment is a good option and, and a valuable one for many reasons. Ernie Thiessen is Executive Director for Premier Personnel, member of the Manitoba Supported Employment Network, joining us for Disability Employment Awareness Month and MLA to Work Day, which is on October 21st. Ernie, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you. We're asking you about the times, you know, where you were at school, the courses, the programs that just buried you in homework. And uh, Loren Marnie was a late entry here, one of our runners-up. I like it because of the work and the love she now has. So Marnie says, I am an early childhood educator, level two. Red River College fast-tracked a program for level three in inclusion. They took a one-year program and broke it down into 12 weeks. And so I did this whole one-year diploma in 12 weeks. I had to quit my part-time job and quit my social life. I was not great at high school, hated school, but it's amazing what you can do when you love what you do. Mm-hmm. And that's a tremendous sacrifice, right? Not just quitting the job, but also quitting the social life yeah. uh, for 12 weeks. Like when, you, when you're looking down the barrel of that gun, that can be, uh, that's a lot to say. I, I'm sorry, friends, I'm not going to see you for 12 weeks. But in the grand scheme, it's only 12 weeks. Yeah, and, and at the starting line, it always feels incredibly daunting and such a long and a long road to hoe but in retrospect when you put it into perspective against what it is you've accomplished and the power it's going to have in your life it's a short period of time but incredibly intense congratulations on that marnie monique says this happened back in high school in mid 1970s i hadn't studied for a test so i wanted to get out of it but needed a good excuse I had a red pen on my desk while the teacher was writing on the chalkboard. I broke the red pen and smeared it all over and under my nose. (laughs) (laughs) She turned around and I lifted my head and said, my nose is bleeding. She came over and saw the red around my nose and she ordered me out of class and said I could take the exam the next day. Needless to say, I got out of that exam, but (laughs) the ink stayed on my face for a good Part of a week, and I was the laughing stock of school. Oh boy, and that's what that's part of school, right? It's not just to write tests and read books, but it's to prepare you for life, and you reap what you sow. And, and just sir, before we read the the winner, and Loren's going to read the winning text here, but Greg, you asked a question earlier about when I was in 
Creative Communications in Red River, part of the deal was to prepare me for this industry, which is deadlines. Like Loren referenced, the newscast starts at 6, not 6.02. And I handed in an assignment. My teacher was standing there. There were a whole bunch of us running down the hall to hand in our journalism assignment. I handed it in three seconds late, and it was an automatic fail. Mm -hmm. And I said, come on. And he said, deadline was 7 o'clock. You missed it by three seconds. And then he laughed at me. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a zero. It was a zero, yeah. Yeah. If you've ever had that moment where, and I had this in TV, where the story is, it's it's making it to air, like, with seconds to spare, and that's your one job is to get it on there for 6.01, not 6.07. Ugh. Oh, my heart is racing right now. Although, you know, guys, I love to walk into the studio when the music's still playing. Yep. Yeah, yeah, we miss like, that. And that's yeah. not late. That's, I'm, not, I'm not late. If, I am if, right on time. Yeah, well, and if you're walking in, <laughs> then you're then you're you're early. If you're running in with your Sorrells, if we can if oh, we can't just clomping down the hall. <laughs> Here comes Loren. But uh, Michelle is our winner. Loren, what did Michelle have for us? <laughs> I love Michelle's text. Uh, Michelle says, when I was in grade four, there was always a lot of spelling homework. My mom worked at the school and would come home 15 minutes after me. It was a beautiful day and I wanted to play outside. So I put my homework between the doors, closed the door. When I got back, my spelling book was in the middle of the yard and the principal's dog was chewing up all the papers. (laughs) My mom now had to call her boss and tell him his dog ate my spelling. (laughs) An actual dog eating your homework. I love it. (laughs) The irony. Not even your dog. <laughs> so good. Michelle, congratulations. You're going to Brian Adams. November 2nd, Canada Life Center. We've got more tickets to give away tomorrow and Friday. Our question of the day for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. With the holiday season not too far away and all its associated spending amidst the inflation situation, do you plan to donate to charities? And so far, 44% say, I'm not sure I can afford it. 28% say, yes, I always do. 15% say, yes, but likely not as much as usual. And 13% say, I never do. You can weigh in at cjob.com. We're asking this morning for a number of reasons, in part because I think we can acknowledge and we know probably many people who are making some tough decisions these days. You might be cutting back on activities. You might be saying, I'm not going to dine out as much. Or maybe you're just changing the way you donate, your charitable donations. Maybe even you're just trying to find a way to keep food on the table and keep that job. Because as you've been hearing this morning, grocery prices, they've risen higher than the overall inflation rate for 10 straight months. So we're up 11.4% on groceries compared to a year ago. And those hikes in part have contributed to a growing number of people turning to Harvest Manitoba for food. Vince Barletta is its president and CEO and joins us now. Good morning, Vince. Good morning, Loren. Let's talk about that demand now. One year ago, for looking back one year ago, you had about 11,000 people looking for food at Harvest. How many are you at now per month? Well, like you said, 11,000 a year ago. Now we're over 15,000 households every month. Uh, that 15,000 households represents around 40,000 people each and every month that are receiving hampers from Harvest all across the province. And then another 40,000 plus that we're supporting through soup kitchens, drop-in centres, school programs, daycares, and, and so on all across Manitoba as well. We've never seen numbers anything like this. And a big part of the story, of course, is we've never seen inflation like this, particularly at the grocery checkout. 
Hey, Vince, it's Greg. Thanks for doing the work that you do and and joining us today. I, I know I'm feeling it in my house. Loren is. Brett's feeling it as a single person. But in our group chat yesterday or the day before, we were comparing grocery experiences and the cost of things. And Loren mentioned the fact, boy, this has got to be really tough on single parents. Well, you know, it sure is. You know, whether it's a single parent trying to raise kids, but really, you know, uh, just about people from all walks of life, that could be seniors uh, who are living on a fixed income, people with uh, a disability uh, benefit, low-wage earners. It's tough all around. And again, uh, those staple items that people buy each and every day uh, to feed themselves and their families going up and up and up, it's putting a big pinch on people. And of course, uh, food isn't the only thing that's going up. Perhaps the only silver lining in the news around inflation is that the general inflation rate seems to be starting to go down a little bit from the highs that we've seen. But that food portion continuing to be absolutely sky high, putting huge pressures on families and sending so many more of them uh, than ever before to uh, get support from Harvest Manitoba. So as we head into that holiday season, you know, there are a lot of uh, charitable organizations that many will associate with the holidays. Like that's the time of year where they will give to uh, an organization. So is there... Do you know any fear that, that people won't be able to afford to make donations to your organization or they'll, they'll choose other organizations? Or does it, you know, because of the, it's the holidays, will people might maybe be more inclined to think, you know what, we, this, is the, this is the time to support uh, a, a food organization like yours? Well, like, like most organizations, uh, the time between now and uh, Christmas and the end of the year, is when we do uh, the lion's share of our fundraising. It tends to be a time historically when people are looking to open their, uh, their pocketbook and, uh, and support uh, organizations that they care about in the community. Harvest has benefited from that generosity of Manitobans for many, many decades. Uh, the work that we do is entirely supported by our donors. And so uh, we're only as strong as our donors allow us to be. Are we concerned about this holiday season? Absolutely we are. Uh, there's some uh, definite dark clouds on the horizon around the economy. Obviously, the inflation situation uh, doesn't help things either. So are we concerned? Yes, we are. But am I optimistic? Yes, I am, because Manitobans are an incredibly generous group of people. They have always supported us, and we are incredibly proud of that support. Uh, but we can't let up on the gas because the demand has never been higher, and we need the support of Manitobans like we never have before. So looking ahead, there might be some concern for this busy season, Vince. But if you look back, you've had that increased demand, but have the donations kept up? Well, what we've seen is we've seen food donations down from where they would have been, say, last October. We are still getting the hampers full. But what usually happens this time of year, starting in October, we start to see a surplus of food coming into our warehouse that uh, builds and builds and builds all through the holiday season. And typically... A lot of that food that gets donated around this time and and through Christmas actually sustains harvest well through the winter and into the spring. Our full warehouse allows us to fill hampers for many months in the new year. We're not seeing that same volume of food coming into our warehouse this October as last. And that's a concerning trend for the amount of food that we're going to have to pack hampers in the winter and into the new year. So again, I ask Manitobans who can please consider supporting us with their food, with their funds, or with their time here in our warehouse. I always look for those mini hampers that I can buy when I'm at the grocery store, Vince. Talk about those and and how those help out. 
Well, those are a huge support. The items that are in there are the top items that we need each and every day to fill our hampers. You're talking about dry pasta, pasta sauce, uh, peanut butter, canned fruits, canned soups. Uh, you know, you go to the grocery store for $9 or $10, you can buy one of those bags, put it in the yellow bin at the front of the till. It means a lot to us. So much of our food comes from that, uh, that line, and uh, we need that support more than ever. So, again, if you can, if you're at the grocery till, and you've got that extra 9 10 bucks in your pocket, you want to do something to support those in need in the community, grab that bag, put it in the yellow bin. We sure would appreciate it. What about stuff for uh, babies, like baby formula? Well, that's something as well that for, uh, for our families that have infants, we provide uh, baby formula. We purchase that at Harvest, uh, and so donations to a program that we have called First Steps uh, really helps uh, our families, our moms that uh, uh, need uh, baby food, need to get uh, baby formula, diapers uh, for their household. So that program supports those things. Uh, Manitobans can certainly support that with their cash donations for our First Steps program they can learn more about that at harvest.ca and people can give of their time too right vince i mean i know it's hard right now to, to talk to people about uh, food donations maybe we want to keep those up and get those going but there's also volunteers that can step in and help well there's no shortage of work to do here at harvest as all of you know uh, this place gets busier and busier as we get into the holiday season uh whether it's answering phones whether it's packing hampers whether it's folks that are able to get out and drive a truck or sort food uh, we need all the support of Manitobans over the holiday season. Uh, it's really easy to volunteer. You go online to our website, harvestmanitoba.ca, or you give us a call, uh, 204-982-3663. Find out all about how you can volunteer uh, here at Har- Harvest over the holiday season or any, any time of year. Vince Barletta is president and CEO of Harvest Manitoba, joining us live on 680-CJOB. Vince, thank you very much. Appreciate it as always, sir. Thank you. We're going to have more on charities through the day on 680 CJOB. And again, you can weigh in on our question of the day at CJOB.com. And before we uh, check in with KK, just one more text here on homework that I wanted to share. This is from first-time texter Tanya with something that kind of kind of blew me away uh, as it pertains to... Well, she says that the conversation regarding being buried in homework takes me back a couple of years to when my son was in grade five during the initial COVID shutdown of the schools. I was spending six hours a day sitting with him, working on his schoolwork. At one point, I think he had 25 assignments and projects due. I finally emailed the teacher and said that it was quite a bit too much, and we would complete the human body project, his math, his reading, and that's it. I did not want her assigning any new projects until that work was completed, so he was on a modified learning plan and was completely overwhelmed with the amount of work she had assigned him. Sidebar, Tanya adds, I was overwhelmed with the work and my liquor store bills reflected it. (laughs) Well, you know, communication with the teacher goes a long way. And uh, figuring out exactly where those assignments came from goes a long way as well, because I know when my kids have been pushing things off, pushing things off, and then all of a sudden one day, I can't do this. I have too much homework. I've been asking every single day for the last two weeks. You didn't have any homework. Uh Now all of a sudden you have too much. Mm -hmm. Something's going on here. So, you know, (laughs) don't let the the, uh, no, I have no homework thing slide. Prove it to me, baby. Every day around 8.30, not every day, sorry. Or the days when you look down at your phone around 8.30 when you know one of your kids just got to school and you've missed a phone call from the school and you're like, mm-hmm. 
What would it be? Permission slip? Hmm? Something is missing. Shoes? Trumpet? Coat? Yep. The good old email from the teacher. Or they're not there? Is it a call that they're not? I don't know. (laughs) Last year, we got one, and I opened it up, all prepared to just be angry and furious. It was a report that uh, one of the boys was doing way better than he'd been doing all year and how proud the teacher was. (laughs) You don't get those very often. (laughs) First time in 11 years. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I mean, I got a phone call from my... From the boss the other day, or a, or a text message, and whenever the boss reaches out, it's like, well, what's Do the, I what, answer? Do I want to look at this? Do I really want to know what's going on? It turned out to be really good news. It was the heads up that uh, Greg and I are going to be back in studio on Monday. I was like, oh, well, that's a good way to go into the weekend. I almost didn't take this call. <laughs> I actually missed the phone call, but I, I was scared to check the voicemail. We say hi to KK. Hi, Kathy. Good morning. Hey, listen, I, I want to, you know, pick up on Lorenz misery comment and, and Brett, you talking about the weather. <sighs> there is a Colorado low that they are. Beginning oh, no, 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 Get out of here. Jeff, turn off <laughs> KK's uh, feed, please. Get out. Brett, Loren, and I will be carrying the water from 10 till noon today. We will not be talking about Colorado lows. You're joking, right, Kathy? Actually, I'm not. Uh, There there is a system that is developing, and uh, it's tracking to hit us Monday, Tuesday. And so it'll start with rain and then turn to a lot of snow. Who's telling you this? I'm tracking to hit something Monday, Tuesday. As long, as long as it doesn't come here by Saturday, that's all I care about. Oh, no, no, no. Weekend's going to be beautiful. Okay. Uh, it's Monday, Tuesday that'll be garbage, apparently. Okay, so who, who, we'll who are we blaming eye. for this? Who's who's going to tell Colorado. us about it? I'm gonna, I, well, Colorado or Donald Trump. Or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, know, somebody tangible the, I can reach out and, and the shed my anger upon. <laughs> Oh, the we- yeah, the Weather Network is suggesting a uh, 70% chance of 20 to 25 millimeters of rain on Monday. That's just a suggestion. It's only Wednesday. This is the Monday forecast. That's going to change. But uh, And you know what? Anything can happen. I'm just telling you that, you know, forecasters have begun to look at this little blip. Great. So. Great. <clears throat> I'm happy. What, else, what uh, other it- good news you have for us today, <laughs> Well, listen, uh, and, and we're going to talk a lot about various things on the show today. But here's the one item, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that I think will pique my friend Lorenz's interest. Today, we are going to have the great dog versus cat debate. Ooh. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Why am I not part of this debate? <laughs> you might be. Have your cell phone on. So this started Monday in a news meeting where cats were brought up and Loren expressed her disdain and Uh and has since, I will say, uh, redeemed herself many times with beautiful cat videos. I'd be suspicious of that. I just want Kathy to like me. (laughs) And I think her cat is quite large and could be like potentially if I ever ran into it on the street, like she might have trained it to kill me. I'm a little concerned. I mean, well, and and that's what it's degenerated to. I had to send her a video last night of Marbles talking to her. But anyways, we're going to talk about what makes a cat better than a dog, what makes a dog better than a cat. This is serious radio today on this Wednesday on 680 CJOB. I'm in for this. I am in for this. I've already sent you a few links. You might want to give them a little quick read. I I did read, yes. 
We your might cat's have not to coming to save more. your life, Kathy. Your cat we, will not save your life. We might have to revisit this tomorrow uh, for the mayoral. I know we're talking downtown tomorrow with the mayoral candidates. Yeah. We might have to just wholesale changes. Yeah. Totally. Cat versus Where do you stand dog? on the cat versus dog debate, Jenny Mockluck? Don't you say parakeet. Do not. That's all the time we've got. Thank you to all for listening to the Start Connecting Winnipeg is on from 10 until 12. Producer Forte, Master Control, great job as always.